Hey everybody, it's Pastor Phil at New Life in Christ Church. Once again, I'm getting ready for our, our Sunday morning service and welcome everybody. It's good to have you, you all with us. And um, uh, I have uh, some announcements before we, we get into this. Um, the uh, church website, which is nlicedarcreek.org, has all of our sermons um, and links to the YouTube videos, to um, um, various things on there, including our Facebook uh, which we have a Facebook Live group that meets on Wednesday night at 6. Um, and you are, of course, more than welcome to uh, let us know if you would like to be added to that, if you have a Facebook account. And if, you know, uh, we're looking at maybe some other options for those people who don't like to use Facebook. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that when we come to it. Um, and then also uh, our giving. We have three ways to give now, which you can text to give, which the number should be on the screen there, or... Uh, you can click click the link that's in this video description. Should be underneath um, the video that you're watching now. Um, or there's also mail if you want to go that route and uh, you know put a check in the mail or or anything like that. But I, I do have uh, um, something on my heart that I'd like to say since I'm on the subject of giving. If you are one who is giving online, first of all, I, I want to thank you. Um, but then beyond that, if you are uh, someone who has a church home that maybe for whatever reason your church is not online, um, I, I would ask that you would pray about continuing to support them um, because in this time it's likely that their, their giving has gone way down and we still want all churches to be able to continue in the ministry that God has called them to. So as the word says in, in, in the New Testament, let each one give as he's reasoned in his heart. So it's a relational thing between you and God, however much you give. Um, and so when you pray, ask him and talk to him and see what, what he thinks um, as to uh, how much to give, where to give, and all that. I, I mean, there's no restrictions on that in the New Testament. So anyway, um, that's just a, a little side note. I'll get off my, my soapbox and let's go ahead and, and pray as we get ready to uh, worship the Lord together. Uh, Father... We thank you uh, once again for your presence that's with us wherever we are. And I do lift up the world to you because you have such ability, such power to be able to affect lives, to change things. And we don't pray at this time. I don't feel led to pray for governments in particular, but really the people who are lost in the woodwork, so to speak, out in the world, who are just lost or have needs and who have cried out to you and asked you to reveal yourself to them. And so, Lord, we ask that you would endeavor to set people into their lives, people who can talk to them, or if you talk to them directly, Lord, your ways are higher than our ways and you, you are so effective in your working, so mighty in your working, Lord. So I thank you in advance. And I ask, Lord, that as we worship together, that you'd meet us here in such a way as we can feel your presence and have uh, that meeting with you, so to speak. And I thank you, Lord, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen.
There is power. There is power, power. Here in this hour, this hour. We're all together, together. Waiting here as one. Oh, hear the sound from heaven.
Thank you that you that you brought revival into our lives. That you took the time to send your son to find us. As Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. You truly did seek us out each and every one of us. And there are many you are still seeking after. Yeah, you are always, you are always pursuing us. Always chasing us down. Even after you save us because that's just the beginning. Thank you, Father.
I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God.
after me Coming after me ha. There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me Lord, as we take a step closer, nearer, as you invite us in, as you wave us forward, you wave us on, to step closer to you. As we do that, Lord, Let us feel compelled to go deeper. Because you always want more of our heart. Your love chases us down. Taken me over, taken me over, and all I want is to be 
with you forever with you forever and your love has ravished my heart and taken me over taken me over and all I want is to be with you forever with you forever so pull me a little closer take me a little deeper I want to know your heart I want to know your heart Cause your love is so much sweeter Than anything I've tasted I want to know your heart I want to know your heart Oh Oh Your heart, 
acquainted with your ways Know you I want to know you I want to know you, Lord I want to know you, Lord I want to know you
I wanna know your heart Cause your love is so much sweeter Than anything I've tasted I wanna know your heart I wanna know your heart Your heart There is celebration, Father. Yeah, there are problems in the world. But if all we focused on was that, we wouldn't find joy in you. Besides, when we take joy in you and we celebrate you, you work in the earth. From the heaven to the night. 
Fellowship continues on. Fellowship conducted in the Spirit. I pray you open our eyes in the Word to what it is you desire. The way that you desire us to walk in. Thank you, Lord. And in Jesus' name, amen.
Oh, praise God. Amazing what worship can take out of you and put into you. Well, let's um, open the word together, shall we? Let's go ahead and turn over to the first chapter of the book of Joshua. I'm way past Joshua. There we go. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 1, if you would. Now, uh, for those of you who um, have been tuning in with us, uh, you'll know that we just finished an epic series on Moses. And, uh, and we're done with that. Um, so we'll be going in a new direction today. But uh, as I was preparing to get us out of this mindset of Moses, because you kind of have to you know, you shift gears and you get out of one mindset and into another, uh, I perceived in my heart that there was something that God wanted to get over to us before, you know, before we got out of this mindset. And it's found starting here in Joshua. Now, as we get ready to read this passage, God was very clear to me that he wanted us to think simple. Think simple. Because if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the details here. And sometimes, and there's a time and a season for that, to get, to, to get um, embroiled in details you know, when God is wanting to show you, but it depends on what God is wanting to show you and what season you're, you're in, you know, because like we talked about, there are natural seasons and there are spiritual seasons and they, they go on parallel with one another. And so in this, in this particular passage, it seemed like the Lord was telling me, you know, make sure that you keep this simple. Um, so here in Joshua chapter one, with that in mind, starting at verse one, it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. My kids think that's hilarious that he's the son of Nun, but anyway. The son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, or for this reason, that's what therefore means. Now, for this reason, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. So it, God is giving them a land, okay, because we're keeping this simple. God is going to give them a land, all right? Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates River, or excuse me, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So again, we just got done studying all the mighty miracles that God worked through Moses. And with that fresh in our mind, I think that we can appreciate God's promise to Joshua. After all the awesome things that Joshua had seen God do through Moses, now God is telling him, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Same. The same way. Now, how would you like God to tell you something like that? And I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag here and tell you that he has made even greater promises to you. To you. But we'll get into that later. Verse 5 again. 
No, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So like I said, we're keeping this simple. All right, This land God is talking about, called the promised land, is, is it, it is something that God has set aside to give the people. He has prepared it for them as an inheritance, he said. An inheritance is something that someone gives you after they die. Hearing that you have an inheritance, and in this case, God had already given it to Abraham. Abraham had died a physical death, and now God is saying, okay, now it's your inheritance. But, but hearing you know, in, that you have an inheritance is a good thing. I mean, in, in a lot of cases, it's probably a very sad thing, but at the same time, it's a, it's a good thing. You, know, you're, you're, you are receiving something that you can now use to bless others. But there's a catch to an inheritance. The only way to get your inheritance is to claim it. No one will just give it to you. Okay? You have to do something in order to receive your inheritance. That's just how it works. In Joshua's case, how will he divide this land, this inheritance among the people? How is that going to be accomplished? Verse 7. This is still God speaking to him. He says, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Now, most of us think of Joshua as a warrior, and he was. But notice that God didn't tell him, be strong and very courageous that you may go into the land and conquer it. That's not what he said. You know, and, 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 because, and I, I mentioned this because when we think of being strong and courageous, we usually think of physical warfare, especially in this context he's talking about. So why does God instead say, be strong and very courageous to observe, to do according to the law, not to turn from it to the right hand or to the left? Why does God say that? Well, he answers that question in the last sentence. That you may prosper wherever you go. Friend, there is a spiritual warfare that, that must take place before we ever go out and do things physically. God is saying, if you are strong and courageous in paying attention to my law and following my law, you will prosper in everything else. Everything. Wherever you go, you'll prosper. These are God's instructions from his very own mouth. So if you want to be successful in life, be strong and courageous in his word. That's where you be strong and courageous. Pay attention to his word. Do not turn from his word at all. You know, in other words, God wants us to be active in this. Tammy and I were watching TV the other day, and, and there was this girl that part of her, her character in, in the story is that she's, this, she's a terrible athlete. 
and she's, there's, this, this, there's this running gag that, that she tries so hard, but she's just bad. And, but, but because she's so sweet, people don't want to you know, stop her from doing things. And, and there's a scene when somebody that she knows is, is really discouraged. And so in order to inspire this person, she says, you need to get back out there. You just need to get back out there. You, and then she says, you know what my coach said to me? He said that I have the heart of a champion and the legs of a spectator. And she's, you know, she's not <laughs> paying attention to the fact that the coach is hinting that even though you, have, you really have this drive, I'd rather you just kind of sit and watch rather than actually getting out there. But he's trying to be nice about it, you know. So he tells her she's got the legs of a spectator. But, you know, even though that makes me laugh, <laughs> God, as our spiritual coach, does not want us to act as though we have the legs of a spectator. He wants us to be strong and courageous. Well, why does he say he wants us to be strong and courageous in the word? Why in the word? Because he knows, and this is, this, he's giving us some little help here, a little encouragement here, because he knows that the thought of getting into the Bible is wearisome to the human mind. I mean, let's be honest. Every person experiences sluggishness at the thought of cracking open the Bible. At least the temptation to give in to that feeling is there. That doesn't mean that we don't respect the Bible. It doesn't mean that we don't love it. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that, that, that we don't want to get into it or recognize the value of getting into it. But there's something about the thought of reading the word that... that that can make this temptation to, slug, to, to be sluggish just kind of come over us. You know, the sluggishness is that, oh, I just don't want to do that. I'll do it tomorrow. Just don't have the energy right now, whatever excuse we can come up with. And, you know, there is actually a reason found in the Bible as to why that temptation comes over us, but we don't have, we just don't have time to get into that right now. But all we need to know for right now is that the temptation to be sluggish in God's word exists. The temptation exists. That's why God said, be strong. You know, he, he's basically saying, get over it. You know, choose to be strong in observing this, observing my word, paying attention to my word. Choose to be courageous in staying with my word and not turning to the right hand or the left, even when people are trying to get us to do that. That's why it takes, that's what, what the courageous part is for. Be courageous in the word when people are trying to get you to compromise in that word. Why? So that we will prosper wherever we go. This is the bottom line rule for life that many people miss and wonder why they aren't prospering. They think they got to do all these different things. Well, I should try this, I should try that. Things aren't working out right now. Uh, you know, I mean, it could be anything. It could be relation, relationship uh, with a spouse, relationship with a girlfriend or boyfriend or, you know, just in a school, work, a, a business venture, anything that's like, why isn't it working out? You know, I've, I've done everything that I know to do, but it's still not working out. Well, have we gone to the bottom line? Have we spent time here first? Because God will give success to a person who has taken time 
to do as he said and get in this word. Again, keeping it simple here before we, 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 read, we read more. Keeping it simple, two things here. Number one, God has prepared a land that he wants the people to have. He has prepared something to give them. And two, in order to get that, Joshua needs to be strong and courageous in God's word. Verse 8 now. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So let's look at that word meditate for a second. Now, when many of us think of that word, we think of Eastern religions, because that's, you know, there's... um, visual images that come to the mind that we see on television and magazines and things like that. But you know, they don't really have sole ownership of that word. There's a, there's a difference in meaning, though, when we, when we look at what, when the Bible talks about meditation. When God says meditate, he's not saying to empty your mind. That's not what the Hebrew word means here. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to empty your mind. To do so would be turning away from it, would be turning away to the right hand or to, to the right hand or to the left. Why? Because simply because God's word doesn't say to do that. And then, if that if if we did that, then there will be no promise of success. The Hebrew word used for meditate means to murmur, to speak to oneself out loud, to pray, to study. In the word. He's saying meditate in this. He's not just saying meditate. He's saying meditate in this. When you read it. Read it out loud. Read it to yourself. Read it, read it to, to God. Read it. Pray. To me. It means to move through all these things. This. You know. Murmuring. Speaking, speaking out to mutter. To some. 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 Uh, some uh, versions of the word, the meditate word, mean to sing to oneself. Sing to God, sing, pray, sing, study in this. Notice that God told him, see, because we say, well, I mean, it's interesting, you know, because you see how, you see how and this is just a thought, you know, that, that things have been twisted. You know, we have been taught, we've been trained to think of the word meditate to, to empty, empty the mind, Right, but, but, and then we also been taught in our culture that to talk to yourself is, is bad. And yeah, in a lot of cases it is. But God is not saying just talk to yourself. He's saying talk to me, talk to yourself, read this, speak it out. He said, "It said the law shall not depart from your mouth." Why is it important to speak God's word? Well, Second Corinthians five seventeen says, "Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word." When you speak God's word, you are hearing God's word. And then faith comes. Listen, I grew up in church, okay? But I didn't hardly listen to the pastor's messages. I thought they were boring. But this is telling us that it doesn't matter if we think it's boring or not. If it's God's word, we need to be strong and observe it. Pay attention to it, because let me tell you, 
I didn't pay attention to God's word for a long time. And I didn't experience the kind of success in life that I wanted. I didn't, I didn't follow, all, I followed some of what God's word said, but I didn't follow all of it. I didn't recognize that he's speaking to me through this, and so I didn't follow all of it, and so I wasn't qualified for this promise of success. Sure, I respected the word. I had a love for the word. I did. But I didn't give my time to the word. So I ended up with mixed success. And by the way, having good success does not mean that you won't have hard times. We need to be clear about that. Inheriting God's promises will get us through hard times. We've talked about that in the past. So turn with me from here over to the book of Hebrews. Over in the New Testament. Toward the back, sometimes I have a hard time getting there. Hebrews chapter 6. Remember, God has a promise ready for us. In order to get the promise, be strong in the word. Hebrews 6, verse 10. It says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name. In that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And I'll mention this later, but I'll mention it here again now. Or not again, but here now. Is that, that I mean, it sounds fancy. In that you have ministered to the saints. What does that mean? Minister just means to serve. The saints just mean people who belong to God. So if you are ministering to the saints, you're just serving Christians. You're just serving other Christians. In whatever gift God has given you. Verse 11 says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope, confident expectation, until the end. In other words, God doesn't forgotten your work, and he wants you to stay diligent in it until the end. That's all he's saying here. I mean, there's other things you can get from that, but that's the bottom line. That's the nuts and bolts of what he's saying. Verse 12. Here we go. Verse 12. We read all that to read this. That... You do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That's so good, I'm going to read that again. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We're beginning to come full circle here. There's some terms that, that, are all, that, are, that we've been talking about that are all packed into this verse. And admittedly, I did that on purpose, but it all, it, 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 it lines up with God's word, okay? So, we can, and again, let's dissect this a little bit just to keep it simple. We can, apparently, become sluggish. We have the ability to do that. Or the capacity, you could say. Lazy, sluggish, unwilling to move. Unwilling to move in what? Unwilling to move in the work that we do for God. After all, he just said, he said God's not forgotten your work, that you minister to the saints. 
Keep diligent in the work until the end. Don't become sluggish in it. Okay, so what was the work, and we're paralleling here, par- par- that's a word, we are, we are looking at parallel examples. Joshua's work was to get the land and divide it among the people, that land that God had wanted to give them. Well, did God tell Joshua that his work was to rush in with the army immediately? Was that his work? No. In order to get the promise, God told Joshua, be strong and courageous in the word. That was the work Joshua was to do for the Lord. Meditate, study, pray, speak the word. Do you think that if Joshua had become sluggish in those things, that he would have had the success There is a spiritual preparation, a training, a spiritual warfare that must take place before we ever try to take physical action. When we think of spiritual warfare, usually we think of intercessory prayer, or in rare cases, casting out demons. And while those are included in spiritual warfare, we also need to understand that simply being strong in God's word and spending time with him lays the groundwork for having good success. That means that many battles will be won before you ever even get there. I'll never forget a story one of my teachers told us. His name is Jim Andrews. He's an evangelist down in South America. And he's been all over down there serving Jesus in jungles and in mountaintop villages and he told us about a time that he was up in his office in the, of the little church that he pastored. I believe he, sat, he pastored a few different ones down there, but this little particular church. And he's up in the office, and, and one, of those, one of the other guys that was in, in the church was there with him, and they had had some sort of church meeting. And, and after it was over, people were leaving, and they were chatting, he and this guy, as they were getting ready to leave the church. Everyone else was gone. And they were chatting as they were leaving, and they were leaving because they were supposed to have service that night. So the typical thing is to rest, you know, take rest before you um, get ready to serve. But he stopped before he got to the door because he suddenly said he felt this burden in his heart to pray. And so as he stopped, the other guy stopped and looked at him. What are you doing? You know, he said, you know, I have a burden to pray in the spirit. And the other guy said, well, I'll stay and pray with you. And so they stayed and they, and they prayed in tongues and in Spanish and in English for hours, just praying. And he said it must have been about six hours or so because by the time the burden from God to pray lifted, because that happens in a prayer time, it was time for evening service. They realized, oh, wow, we've been here all day, praying all day. Now, let me just stop here to say this before I move on. Praying that long is not an easy thing to do. That's not easy for anyone. It, it can be easier for someone who has uh, gotten used to praying for long time periods. But no matter what, that's a marathon of prayer. But, you know, sometimes we feel led to do that kind of work because that is work. In that case, it was what we just read about. That that type of work was what we just read about here in verse 10 about ministering to the saints. You know, again, because that just means serving other believers, serving other Christians. Well, how how do we know that? Because Jim Andrews said that when he finished praying, 
he realized it was time for, and he realized, wow, it's time for evening service. He heard the church's gate open, and he looked out the office window, and he saw a lady being pushed into the churchyard in a wheelchair. And he told us, he said, when I saw her, in my heart, I knew that she was the reason we had spent that six hours praying. He said he went downstairs, walked across the yard, smiled at the lady in the wheelchair, and said, Sister, are you ready to get out of that wheelchair in Jesus' name? She smiled back and said, Yes, I am. She took his hand, stood up, and was instantly healed. See, this is the kind of thing we want to see more of in these times. We sing about it. You know, the very first song, we, we want to see signs, wonders, and miracles in the earth. But what some of us don't realize is that God chooses to work through his word and prayer. And sometimes that prayer is long prayer. Are we willing to put in the time if the Spirit leads us to do that? Six hours. It's worth it if a lady is now walking who wasn't walking before. Because, and I mentioned prayer, because prayer is included in what God told Joshua about meditating in the word day and night. That, we're, it, it, that prayer is in there as part of the meaning of the word. Now, did God mean that we are to spend every waking minute reading the Bible and praying without any rest? No, of course not. But just as an athlete builds up their endurance so they can compete longer and more effectively, we can and should build up our spiritual endurance in these things over time. Why should we do that? Is it because we're all called to a pulpit ministry? No, it's because this is what God says to do to all, for all of us. Because through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Remember earlier we talked about how an inheritance must be claimed. Now, an earthly inheritance, something that a relative may leave you or someone that is very close to you may leave you, uh, those must be claimed by showing up and signing some paperwork. But how do we claim that spiritual inheritance from God that he's talking about, the promises? It told us right here in Hebrews 6.12, we inherit the promises through faith and patience. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When it comes to being patient, God, the Bible doesn't say to pray for patience. The Bible says just be patient. Patience has to do with what attitude we are waiting in. What type of attitude am I waiting with? So, do not let God's word depart from your mouth, but meditate it, meditate on it day and night. And, and see, because, like we said, faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That's the number one thing that we need in order to inherit the promises is faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Do not let God's word depart from your mouth, because in hearing it, faith comes. This is what I call the positive feedback loop of faith. So now, I'll say this. It is fair to identify what exactly God has promised us 
before we decide whether or not we want to put in the effort. You know, we're taught in our society, do not, don't, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong to seek after the reward. Well, if, if, the, if the, the sole purpose of getting the reward is just to enjoy the reward, then, yeah, I'd say there's some truth to that. But, you know, when Jesus said to count up the cost, part of that is looking at the reward to decide if the cost is worth paying. That's why I said count up the cost. If you want this, figure out how much it's going to cost you. If you want this, right? For the Jews of Joshua's time, the reward was the promised land. In our time, for us, let's take a moment to see what God has promised us. Turn, back, turn with me back into Isaiah in the Old Testament. The New Testament tells us that we have a better covenant based on better promises. Better covenant than the Jews at this time had. And that was a, they had some awesome promises. So we're going to read in Isaiah 53. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you what chapter. Isaiah chapter 53. And this may be a pretty familiar passage to some of you by now. Because we tend to come here from time to time. And God has great, the reason for that is because God has great and awesome promises for us here. And uh, this is a prophecy, Isaiah 53, it's a prophecy about Jesus before he was born. So starting in verse 1, let's read it together. It says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, that's Jesus, shall grow up before him, that's the Father, as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. That just means that Jesus didn't have the physical looks that would make us be like, man, he looks the part. We're going to follow him. He didn't, he didn't have that. God did that, on, did that on purpose. Verse 3. And this, God did that on purpose because he didn't want people to follow Jesus just because he looked the part, just because he looked good. In the, in the Old Testament, it's part of the prophecy. It says that Jesus, Jesus talking to the Father says, you have prepared a body for me. God could have prepared that body to look like anything he wanted it to look like. But he didn't want Jesus to be so handsome that people would only see his outward appearance and only follow him for that reason. They wanted, they, he wanted people to dig deeper. Verse 3, he, still talking about Jesus, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Okay, now that's just setting us up here for the promises. Talking about what Jesus had to go through to give us the promises, to prepare them for us. And now I'm going to switch over to the Amplified Classic. And I, I apologize, I forgot to, to do that on the slides. Um, but if you, you want to look that up, that you would look it up with a, a, capital A-M-P-C, Amplified Classic, if you want to look it up on your own device. Um, verse 4 in the Amplified Classic says, Surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses. Jesus bore those. And carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten and afflicted by God as if with leprosy verse 5 but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our guilt 
and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. In the margin of my Bible, when it says stripes, it says the blows that cut in. Talking about when he was whipped. Okay. So the promises God has prepared for us are all received as an inheritance through Jesus. Because through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Remember, an inheritance is something you get from someone who has died. Jesus died. Making this inheritance available for us to inherit through faith and patience. And Jesus rose again, and the word says that now he is the mediator of the new covenant, which means that he is personally overseeing the distribution of his own will. God put it into Joshua's work. His assignment was to divide the land among the people. Jesus is the one that divides the promises among us. Those of you who like legal terms should enjoy how God did that. You can read about all that in Hebrews chapter 9. But here in Isaiah 53, God lays out what I call the threefold cure. Everything a person needs is a part of their being. Their being. God provided for in the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. Jesus' blood was shed for our sins, providing life for our spirit and well-being to our spirit. Or you could say the heart of man. That's the first part of the cure. He bore the chastisement for our peace, it says. Needful to obtain peace. He bore that to provide well-being to our soul. Or our mind, will, and emotions. That's the second part of this threefold cure. And by his stripes, meaning the blows that cut in. We have physical healing available. That's the third part. It's a threefold cure because we are three-part beings. Spirit, soul, and body. I taught a message on that a while back. I think it was called The Design of Mankind. If you want to look that up, and you know, if you're interested, you can find that on the website. Or Kenneth E. Hagen wrote a great mini-book on the subject. Not, not very long. It's only like 60 pages long, I think. Called The Threefold Nature of Man. It's fascinating. But anyway, like I said, it's a threefold cure that God has provided. These are the promises we can inherit. You could put it this way. They have been made available to us to receive through faith and patience. And that's the, or to inherit through faith and patience. But see, that's the rub, as they say in Old English, because God doesn't make us earn salvation, but he does expect us to qualify for certain promises. We don't work to earn these things. We don't work to earn salvation. We receive salvation by faith. We receive these things by faith as well. This is why people don't always get the things from God that are available to them. Because we don't always follow his instructions. But the good news is that God has not made his qualifications impossible. And they are relational with him. Because this is an inheritance we receive through him. Turn with me over to the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at chapter 15 in John, if you would. 
And um, we're going to look at the words of Jesus here in verse 7 of John 15. I'll go ahead and give myself some water. So in John 15, verse 7, Jesus says these words. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Hmm. He's trying to tell us how to get what we need from the Father. That's why he is saying this. John chapter 1 calls... Jesus, the Word of God. In the beginning, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you realize that same Word is the Word that God told Joshua to meditate in day and night? Jesus was not yet revealed at that time, but he was still the Word that in the beginning was with God and was God. And now here, Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, the word, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. We don't do anything to make it. I mean, we ask, and God's the one who does it. We don't, do, we don't make it happen. God does it. Well, you know, James chapter 1 says to ask in faith with no doubting. How does that work? How does that play into what Jesus said? Because Jesus just said, ask. He also said, uh, you know, in a different part, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. So, how does this work, you know, to ask with no doubting? See, because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. So what are we putting in? Are we spending enough time in the word, or are we spending time listening to all these other different voices that we hear all around us? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Jesus says, if his words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it will be done. If his words abide in you, it means you're continually hearing them. And so faith is continually coming. Amen. I resolved a long time ago in this. That if I ask God for something that I know he said that I can ask for. And I don't receive that, that the problem is not on his end. There must be something on my end as to why I'm not receiving. The natural human tendency seems to lay things off on God when things don't break our way. Well, it's either God who's Against me, because I've, I've heard people you know, say all different kind of things. Well, God must be against me. Or maybe God is withholding from me to teach me a lesson in some way. You know. But why are we laying it over on God? And because this, the tendency to do that, I found to be common in all mankind. You know, we need to endeavor to break away from that kind of thinking. Because that's a roadblock to receiving from God. Because we don't trust him. You can't receive something from someone you don't trust. Or at least you can't be confident that you will receive something from someone you don't trust. I guess if someone, a stranger came up to you and 
handed you something, you know, handed you a $100 bill, you could, you could still receive that even though you don't trust him because they're a stranger. But God has made it clear the only way to receive things from him is to trust him. So if we don't trust him, how can we ever receive anything from him if we receive things based on faith? Trust is included in faith. Anyway. If I expect to ever receive anything from God, I must believe that he is never the problem. He is always good, all the time. He is never unfair. He is never withholding. He is always good. I must believe that. I must believe that he is willing to give. So if I'm missing something, the problem must be with me or possibly some other human who is causing problems for me, causing issues in life. And if that's the case, then God instructs us to pray for good things for that person. And if I refuse to do that, now I'm the problem again. It was not easy for me to change my thinking to this type of thinking. But it's what the Word teaches and we are to be strong in the word. I remember back when Hurricane Katrina hit. I think that was 2004. You know, really messed up Louisiana and, you know, a lot of places down there. And I was reading an article about how some reporters questioned Billy Graham's daughter about it. You know, about this. They brought this. You know, they they saw it as a more as a that they they in their view God had a moral problem, so they were bringing it bringing it up to her attention. And it's funny how you know the world is interested in what Christians have have to say only when something bad seems to happen. Anyway, they asked Anne Graham Lotz, Anne Graham Lotz, why 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 did God allow this horrible tragedy to strike? Why did God allow all these people to lose all their homes and these people to lose their lives? Why did God allow that? And they're angry about it, and they're, 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 trying, to hold, uh, God, they're trying to hold God accountable, and they're doing that through her, who they see as, her, as his representative, and she is. We all are. And so after they asked her this question, you know, she thought about it, and she responded, you know, I think the real question is, how can we tell God to get out of our schools and our government and then expect him to protect us? And they had no answer for her question. And I believe it was a Holy Spirit-inspired question to, you know, to, to stop them in their track. Jesus did that all the time. People asked him, they thought they were asking him a really hard question, and he'd give them answers that just astonished them. So, you know, we have to have the mindset by reading the word that God is willing to give us what we need because he has, he has something that he wants as well. Okay? And he, and he, he has made it very clear, I think, what he wants Meditate in his word. Abide with him. And let his words abide in us. Because hearing his words builds faith. And, and I mean, I know that we're saying the same thing over and over again, but you have to hear it again and again and again. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, 24, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Believe before you see. 
one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard was teaching on that verse once, and he said, many of us have no problem with being bold when we come to God to ask him for something, but how many of us remain bold when we leave? And what he meant by that was this, how many of us truly keep believing, staying confident in the fact that we have received after the prayer is over? I've already received it. I asked God, he gave it to me. I believe that. I, take, I just believe that in faith, that I have it. You know, and when we, you know, the natural human tendency is to go to God and ask him for something. What do we typically do? You know, we go, we go you know, the, the human tendency is to leave and then be, immediately begin looking around, looking around to see if we've got it. But that's not what Jesus told us to do. We're not following his instructions. He said, believe that you receive, and then you will have it. Believe you have it, whether you see it or not. I've had symptoms, physical symptoms, leave my body, not immediately after I prayed, but after I spoke to the symptom, when it reared up, and I said, I'm sorry, but I received healing from God when I prayed, so I do not fear you. I'm not saying that this replaces doctors and medicine. I'm simply saying that God answers prayer. And there's a specific way he has told us to pray. One more thought on this and then we'll close. Now take, take a deep breath because this will help your thinking if you can get a hold of it. You should still be in John 15. Go to the very next chapter in John 16. John 16. This is uh, wow, okay, there we This is Jesus speaking still. He says, Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now, this may seem like a very quick statement, but Jesus is really saying a lot just in this simple statement. In fact, what he is saying here is a complete game changer for us. He says, when you, when you pray, ask in my name. Ask in my name. He gave us the right permission to use his name. To paraphrase this, he's saying, when you go to my father to ask for something, tell my father I sent you. This is coming from the one who healed thousands, opened the eyes of the blind, walked on water, rebuked the storm, so many other miraculous things. We as Christians get so used to hearing this that we pray in Jesus' name that some of the gravity of this statement sometimes is lost on us. So let's illustrate this principle. Say the president of the United States calls you up. And it's legitimate that it's actually a call from him. Now, whatever you think about Trump or not is irrelevant because we're just talking about the man's office. We're talking about the office of the president of the United States. So the president calls you up, and he says, listen, I've decided to, to treat you to dinner tonight. Here's the number to the White, the, the white House kitchen, you know, you know uh, and, and uh, I want you to tell him that, that I called you and that you can... 
you know, you can, you can have whatever you want. Uh, you, you know, you can, you can uh, pick, you know, look at the menu, you can ask them, and you can tell them whatever you want, however much you want, even if it's not on the menu, I can get it for you. Just tell them that you can, you can, you know, you, whatever you want, however much you want, and I will personally make sure that it is ready and that it is flown to your house tonight for dinner. Is there any doubt in your mind that the President of the United States is able to make that happen? Okay, well, now let's take another for instance. Say he calls you up and he says, listen, I, you know, I've decided that, um, you know, there was this, there was this, this, this country nearby that suffered these massive earthquakes and, and there's people in need and, and I want you to be the one to take supplies. I've already arranged for everything. I want you to take the supplies there in my stead and tell the people there I've sent you to bring relief. Okay? <clears throat> so, if you fail to do that for some reason, Would what would he say? You know, would he be happy about that? No, he'd say, you know, I, I told you to to I authorized you to help these people in my stead. What happened? And you probably understand where I'm heading with this now. I use two examples here. In the first example, your needs are being provided for in dinner. In the second, others' needs are being provided for through relief. Now, here's what I'm driving at. Jesus has authorized us to go to the Father in his name and make requests for our needs and then also for the needs of others. How much more ability to make things happen does God have than the president? And if the president would be disappointed if we didn't use the authority he gave us, then how much more do you think God wants us to take seriously the name we've been given to use in prayer? Some people, you know, a lot of people are of the mindset, well, God can do anything. He, why, doesn't he just, why doesn't he just do things? Okay, well, first of all, he can, um, because with God all things are possible. And there's, there's, other, there's legal reasons why he chooses to do what he does that we won't get into now. On the other side of the things, though, you know, you understand that just because we think, just because God is able to do it on his own without us asking, that's irrelevant because he tells us to ask. He wants us to be involved in his work. Amen. Okay, well, I hope this was helpful to you today. And don't, don't you know, don't feel, hope you don't feel condemned at all. I mean, it's, it's the same thing to me. I mean, I, I've done it wrong many years, many years. And, uh, you know, I just want us all to understand how God sees prayer. And what he wants us to do with prayer. And, and his word. Word of God and prayer. Alright, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of working alongside you. That you don't just save us and toss us into eternity. You know, just, but you want us to be active all at your side, working with you, for you. And so we thank you, Father. I pray, Lord, that you protect Everyone, uh, you bless everyone in, involved in this, in this message today. And I just ask, Lord, that you bring us all back safely. And I thank you, Lord, and I praise you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well.
Thank you all, and we'll see you next week.